Welcome to the City Confessions. I'm Marianne Yip, a native New Yorker, and I'm here to discuss all the thoughts that go to the minds of people living in New York City. Since I'm a native who was born and raised in a city that never sleeps, I come across people who are constantly in a rush. I would like to take a moment to sit down and talk about what's on their minds and what keeps them up at night. So sit back and let's dive into these confessions of people I know and people I just met. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the City Confessions. I am so excited because we are joined by the lovely Jeff Lee. He is the CEO and co-founder of Dibs Beauty, which is all about mistake-proof products you reach for over again and again. And previously, he was the CEO of A-Rod Corp, where he consulted and helped build multiple household names in beauty and wellness. As I was reading your bio, I was so impressed because I literally feel like you've lived like five lives. <laughs> so I would love to dive into all of your, you know, different paths so far. So before we begin, why don't you introduce yourself to the listeners? Tell us who you are, what you do, and what your relationship is with New York City. Oh, I love it. And it's so great to meet you know, someone in journalism like yourself, Marianne, who has a real passion for lifestyle and for all these different areas that make New York great. And I'm a native Californian by trade. You know, I was born and raised in Southern California to Taiwanese immigrants, um, the ultimate conservative Asian family that you can imagine. Um, you know, in fact, we like to joke that my mom was the original tiger mom. Um, I joke about that too, Amy Chua, who was the, my professor and the author of that famous memoir um, when I was in law school. And, you know, I have to say, I'm going to go in reverse. Uh, my relationship to New York City is love and hate. You know, you it's a place where you can do anything, meet incredible people like yourself. I mean, you know, we only had a few minutes just in passing and it was such an eclectic group the day we met when we launched dibs back in september and you just meet people who i think new york has a great way of bringing out the um the amazing differences and special superpowers that everyone has so it, there are some cities that i think funnel people into conformity and new york is the opposite it takes unique people and it brings out those qualities and them and so that's the part i love about new york now um i'm a subway guy i get car sick so transportation drives me insane and you know there's also just the fact that in new york right it can be an exhausting grind um People don't want to admit it, but it is a nonstop hustle in the city. And I think there's some value to, you know, being able to leave the city or to get your own time to recharge, get off of the rat race. And the, mm -hmm. the pandemic has been kind of surprisingly good for that. So, you know, it's, it's much more love than it is hate, but I'm going to use some very strong words when it comes to New York because there's no in between. No, and I love it because over here, we we love to talk about it being raw, right? It's not about what we want to hear. It's about like, let's just cut to the chase and let's just be real. So I also know that you study law and I'm just so curious to know how did you embark on that path and where you are today? Because I'm not saying law and beauty doesn't relate, but I am curious to see how you got here. All right. Well, you know, I, people love to talk about the career pivot, right? And I actually um, love this class uh, by my good friend and mentor, Allison Kluger. I come and speak to it um, whenever I can at Stanford, which is about career pivots. But I think the word pivot is a bit of a misnomer. I always say that my career runs on a train track. And then if you have 
another passion or interest, you got to lay the tracks over, right, alongside until you're ready to make a decision to kind of switch over and go on to a different lane. And that was the trajectory for me. So as a kid, I was a strange kid. I was, you know, had lots of weird passions ranging from orchids to cacti to ancient Egypt. But from a career perspective, I knew I wanted to be a corporate lawyer. I loved being a corporate lawyer. It's a nonstop grind. Um, it is probably one of the hardest, actually physically taxing jobs that you can do in an office, um, especially uh, when I was doing it, which was in the middle of the 2008 financial crisis. So, uh, you know, what it did was it normalized the idea, frankly, of working 120 hour weeks of really grinding, of being physically in an office with a team. And these are things that have really fallen away from our work culture now. Um, but the fact is, there is nothing like being in that kind of a furnace. And my life has always been about pursuing excellence wherever you can find it. And I'm, I get asked about work-life balance all the time. I was speaking at a law school class last week and, you know, all the kids are thinking about corporate law jobs. They're like, oh, is there work-life balance? And I was like, ha, <laughs> and, and it has nothing to do with the, the firm you're at, the caliber of the work, whatever. It's the nature of the work. If you're working on something that's extraordinarily complex, and the great thing about corporate law is that it requires you to both be so extraordinarily precise that there's a famous case where a single comma, had it been like a semicolon or a period, um, made the difference of about $450 million in the contract, like a single punctuation point in a 150-page single-spaced contract, right? Like there's that kind of surgical precision, but it also requires you to constantly think above the fray. You kind of think, where is this deal or this case headed? How do I be a strategic advisor to my client? So you have to be able to parallel track both kind of captaining the ship and drilling down and figuring out, are we leaking anything down below? And that's actually pretty similar in a lot of ways to beauty. In the sense that as a co-founder and a CEO of this company, I have an incredible co-founder who is a visionary and has a great idea of what people like her want. She's a busy mom. We created these products with their lifestyle in mind. You know, we, we said we are on a mission to make beauty accessible for people who don't want to listen to, you know, don't have the time to do a you know, 40 minute tutorial on YouTube. But at the same time, to your point, right, mistake proofing was key. They don't want like the extreme clinical, minimalistic, like, you know, doctor's office type look. They want to feel good and have color on it. And so that was the vision, right? To elevate your everyday essentials, to really improve, upgrade on the must-haves that are out there in the market. But in terms of the execution, right? Like in every day, you know, my job is to kind of steer the ship. You know, we have an incredible team and to just constantly make sure that we're all driving the same direction. But I also drove down to the weeds. And for over a year when we were developing divs, I remember I think telling you this when we were going over the formulations, you know, I could tell you every single ingredient. I could tell you why it was put in. I could tell you what alternative ingredients we looked at and why we chose what we chose. And, you know, it's still the case that I sit down with our product developers and I sit down with the chemists for the first round of every product we even think about creating. I, you know, have the, the ingredients in mind. Like, you know, I, I drill down to that level because that's really where the two things, you know, the, the two fields intersect. It's about creating a craft and perfecting it. And, you know, we're not Olympic swimmers at like, you know, when, you, when you're talking about lawyers or beauty products people, but, you know, you don't get anywhere without putting 10,000 hours in, right? I'm sure for you, 
you know, becoming a podcaster, you have natural charisma. I've seen it in person, but I'm sure, right. It took a couple episodes for you to find your feet. And I'm sure now like, like you know, city confessions is like, you know, just like, you know, it's an institution. You really have, you know, your, your sea legs behind you, underneath you. I honestly think it maybe has to do with the fact that, I mean, you live in New York now, correct? Yes, yes. I've lived here all my life. And there is just something super contagious about the energy. And I always say New York isn't for everybody. And of course, I'm prideful. And I will say it's like the best city in the world. But I do think it gives you something that a lot of other places don't, which is why people dream. They literally book one way tickets to come here. And that is something that I was just like, when I really wrapped my mind around that concept, I was like, wow, I'm so grateful because I didn't choose Nobody chooses where they're really born and raised, right? Until they could be an adult and financially like make that decision. So it's so interesting. But I know that your co-founder is Courtney Shields. Yes. I know that you personally advocate for like women leadership and all of that. I just love and, you know, admire about you. So how did you meet her? And I guess, tell me about just like, your passion and I guess values for women leadership. Oh, I, I, you saw how I reacted just yeah. now. This is such an unexpected question, and you can tell it's a real passion of mine. So, um, Courtney and I basically met like a speed date, like like on Zoom. Um, you know, this is a pandemic-founded company. We are in Austin brand. We're headquartered in Austin, and I spend as much time as I can there as well. I'm actually going to be, you know, permanently splitting my time between the two cities because it is fundamentally an Austin brand, and I didn't want this to be a New York brand or an LA brand. Courtney and I agreed we're speaking to all 50 states from a different place but this was born of the pandemic and you know she and I were arranged it kind of the uh the, it was a setup uh like like a blind date if you will um by the founders of Tula who are these two incredible guys named um Dan Reich and Ken Landis Ken also um uh, was the brains in many ways behind the Bobby Brown business so mm-hmm. these two incredible guys I had known them through the beauty world um been in touch with them and they said, why don't you just meet Courtney? Why don't you go and you meet Courtney, see what it is. We instantly hit it off, right? And you just know when you're in the room with someone, even if you're not physically with them, if there's that chemistry, whether professional, personal, hopefully it's, you know, and, and we just, we really hit it off. And one of the things that I loved to you about her was, um, you know, that we're in the age of the influencer celebrity brand. And I truly, I, I talk about this a lot with people in the industry. Everyone wants to be a Fenty and they always want to just plug the talent with the CEO and put them together and go, you know, go make Fenty. That's not how it works, right? You really need people that are complementary to each other because the business is so much more than just plugging someone in and playing. And what I love about Courtney is her true passion for beauty. She is that girl who on the school bus was helping all the other kids with how do you braid the hair, put on their tutorials, and she's made makeup unintimidating to people for the last decade of her life. So that's an authenticity that you just simply can't recreate. You can't just like wake up one day and say, I'm going to go and sell you a skincare or makeup or hair care line because I'm, you know, famous or influential and I have access to like this team. No, you've got to have built up that credibility. And that's what struck me about her. She and I, you know, it doesn't matter if it's a weekend, you know, public holiday. Like last night we were texting each other about a product. I, you know, I was like, I, you know, I want to get your thoughts. This is the right direction. And, you know, she sends me her notes. And this was late at night, you know, she's a mom, she's working. 
Um, and so that's the part that I love about her, right? And, and the reason why I think this business is so uniquely um, situated, and you've met her too, so you know how you know warm and, and you know what kind of hands-on she is. She's demoing the makeup on you when you're in the room. She's not just like, oh, enjoy, you're welcome. <laughs> now, woman in leadership, I could literally talk your head off for an hour. I'm going to try to contain myself. You know, it started, um, well, I would say from an academic perspective, it really started in college. And I was an international relations major. It's still one of my fundamental academic passions. It's flown through my law career and everything. And my interest then was how do we elect more women to presidencies, not in the United States, because this was before you know we had major um, you know presidential candidates that were women. This was let's start with Latin America. How do we get women into these positions of power where they don't have to be the wives or daughters of male presidents or prime ministers? Because that's when you truly you know, see a shift towards equality or representation at the top level. And what I think surprises a lot of people, and I think when I presented, you know, my research, you know, I think like all these like, like old school poli sci uh, professors kind of taken aback. And, and I'm going to teach this class at, at Chicago Booth next March, um, this coming March as well, which is I show all the women leaders of the 20th century. And if you look at all of them going from the 80s, 90s, really with only two or three minor exceptions, they have one common thing other than being the wife or the daughter of a president. They have short cropped hair, like they don't wear shoulder length hair. And it's like, it sounds so inconsequential. And you might ask yourself, well, why does this matter? Well, it matters, right? Because these women, whether or not you were a Margaret Thatcher or you were an Indira Gandhi, you know, you came of a Gorda Mayer, you came of age when you only had the archetype of the alpha male leader to look to, right? And you know, things have now shifted dramatically. We obviously have a vice president who, you know, presents in a much different way than, say, the um, woman of the past did, right? Or even some of her peers, like you might call Angela Merkel an example of a more old school style um, leader, right? If you're going to talk about um, even just the visuals, right? She wears a pantsuit, very short cropped hair. Um, you have very young prime ministers in Finland and in New Zealand who are in their 30s, early 40s, you know, in very open about being working moms or daughters and, and very open about speaking about the aspects of their life. And I think what's really key here is it shows the world that from a visual, from a personality, from all these different standpoints, you don't need the one mold to be a leader, right? And so if you're thinking, and this is applicable to, I think, many minorities, I mean, it's just speaking from the Asian experience, right? I, I look at the screen now and, you know, it's, it would have been inconceivable for us to look at the screen and say, wow, there's going to be Simu Liu and Bo and Yang on SNL representing us, right? Like, because before there wasn't either. And now you've got like two different, you know, they made it that skit, kind of joking about it, like two different archetypes of the Asian experience. And that's really what I think the goal of doing these studies is and what my passion is in terms of elevating women into leadership. Because when women break through on the basis of different characteristics and kind of like this preset mold where they have to conform, and there's nothing wrong if that is your natural style. It obviously works very well for a lot of, great female leaders, but if you open up the spectrum of what we think of when we think of a leader, how she looks, talks, presents, what she talks about, 
then you know you get more space for different kinds of leadership period and that's really like like the crux of it oh i love it i think when i was hearing you speak one thing that stood out to me was just this concept of like breaking the mold and i feel like even you are a great example of that because a lot of times i think people define themselves off of like a title whether that's, you know, a CEO of a beauty company or an artist or a blogger, but it's like, we are so much more than that. And it's like, when you introduce yourself, it's not like, hi, I'm, you know, so-and-so and I do this. It's more like, who are you at your core? What are your passions? What are you like advocating what you value for? And again, I was alluding this in the beginning, but I do think you have worn so many hats. Like I know you even were like a Miss Universe coach, which is insane. So I guess my next question is, you know, throughout all these different paths and lives that you somewhat have lived, it's like, what was that one moment where I don't want to call it your rock bottom, but it was like a very difficult time. And this can obviously be related to the pandemic and like Dibs Beauty recently or something personal in your log, you know, career or journey, but just what is that one moment that stands out to you where you maybe learned the biggest lesson? You know, I think I've always viewed life as kind of a battle, mm -hmm. right? You know, like, like, you know, like, like you keep get, you have to get up off the mat. You have to just keep getting up off the mat, no matter how you're knocked down, whether it's in business or personal, you know, matters, your relationships with your friends, your partners, your family, or whether or not it's, you know, you know, whether or not you got the job that you dreamed of, or in many cases, I didn't, you know, I always like, I think my career trajectory looks very linear. It was like, oh, he made up this big plan and then jumped to the next one and boom, and hasn't. And really the rock bottom points have been when I forced myself to say, look, it isn't about getting something, about getting the right friendship, the right partner, business or personal, about getting to the right place in life, because you know, I you know, I grew up in the culture, which I think you might understand, which was get into the right school, and then everything else is great, yeah. right? You know, like lead to your point, right? Lead with getting into with your academic credentials. I'm very proud of my academic credentials. I worked hard for them. I know you worked hard for yours, right? Like I I'm not shy about it. You know, in like I'm not shy about the blood and sweat and tears that went into you know our respective fields of study. But does that define me? No. And I think the rock bottom was really realizing, right? You have to kind of like sit back and you have to say, okay, underneath all these layers of amazing experiences, things you project to the world, credentials, what have you, what are you at the core? Mm -hmm. And for me, right, there was that period where it allowed me to realize, look, um, a lot of the things that really drove me early on, I mean, I really had a chip on my shoulder being Asian, you know, for a very long time. And I still kind of do, you know, it's a highly motivating one. Grew up Asian in Newport Beach. My sister and I were basically the only ones in the city, you know, like, you know, and I, you know, I was the, you know, I wanted to be the first Asian partner in the M&A department in Sullivan and Cromwell who wasn't in the Hong Kong or Beijing office, <laughs> you know, like, I mean, like it, it went through my whole professional career. But then I think you also start to realize, hey, you know, to your point about, what you you value. I always like to say, you know, I during the during the last few years, I've learned sometimes the hard way. You know, what I value about myself is really um, the fact that I'm an ethical leader. Yeah, um, I'm an ethical partner. I'm an ethical team player. Um, I truly believe in it, and I think there's a, a really like 
there was like a real moment when I realized, hey, I'm not interested in winning all the time. I'm actually just interested in being able to look at myself in the mirror and say, you know, I'm okay. And and there was a um, a line that a, a dear friend and mentor, her name is Yu Sai Khan. She was um, essentially the Oprah of China, the most famous woman in China throughout the 80s, 90s, and 2000s. Really incredible mentor. And Yu Sai who is single-handedly credited for bringing makeup actually to China. She was the first woman to introduce a modern concept of lipstick to, the, to a billion Chinese at the time. She always said to me, you know what? I have never made a cent, a single cent off of someone else's misery. And it just like stuck with me. And it's been such a kind of guiding light for how I am in my life personally and professionally, right? I'm not perfect, obviously, but that really has been, you know, a long-winded way of answering, but that's what I learned. And I also want to relate it to something you said. You know, I was listening to your podcast about what you've learned in the, these very trying times and about knowing about your gut intuition, mm-hmm. right? You know, because just like be confident in yourself, right? Not second-guessing yourself, mm-hmm. right? And, and you spoke very, very eloquently, um, you know, during your, your own kind of solo podcast about that. And I truly think that like, if you were going to take anything out of this horrible time that we've been living in, it's like, who are you? You know, like, what are you underneath it all? Right. Like, Well, first of all, thank you for listening to my podcast. (laughs) And second of all, I think it's it. I don't know if it comes with age and experience, though, because I think oftentimes it's when you experience trauma obstacles those low points it's like you can't live in those moments forever there will come a time where you obviously you honor those you know feelings and and that place that you're in but there's going to come a time where you're like okay if I want to make a change or if this is not how I feel like my my soul aligns with this is not the trajectory of my life that fulfills me then you you have to take action right and I think another thing that I realized was I kept trying to I spoke about this in the in the episode, but like outsourcing my intuition. And therefore, like I would always feel something wasn't aligning. And it's amazing because when you do turn inwards, like you have all the answers. And I think this is can be applied to business and, and personal life. Sometimes we we think we don't know what we, we, we want and we think we don't know what is our source of happiness. But if we actually, you know, listen to our bodies and our minds and and, and our souls in a way, like you'll you'll figure it out and that's what has been super I think humbling and grounding for me especially during the pandemic it's like no you got this right like it's okay and I love that you said like I'm okay because I do that sometimes when I'm feeling anxious I just breathe and I'm like you're okay you got this right and you know it's such a New York thing because the way that we live I think people don't quite understand if you're not in the city right even if you you and I could be next door neighbors and not see each other for years unless we scheduled something right and the cadence of our lives is kind of like even for your good friends and see your close friends and then like maybe that like semi-nebulous circle outside of your closest five to ten right for most people this is what I think I'm seeing in a lot of my world you will schedule that catch up either because it's a regular interval or something's happened, Mm -hmm. something big where you just want their opinion, whether it's dating, whether it's business, whether it's family, whatever, or you're just going nuts being cooped up in your apartment. And then you go, I, 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 when you talk about oversharing, I I was like, yes, I literally find someone. And then we both dump at each other for three hours and you leave 
and maybe you, you feel better. I think you feel better because you have another voice in the room, someone that human contact. But how often has it really actually changed yep. how you fundamentally felt going in? I think very rarely. It does happen, <laughs> right? But your intuition is your intuition. I think that's what you were getting at. And and at this point, right, there's no way like around it. So just embrace it. Yeah. And I think one thing I learned from what you said is that we have a tendency to want to vent. I mean, not all of us. Sometimes you know, people process things differently. But I think for me, I'm always like, I need to get this out. I need to get advice. But it's like, I chose to just sit with it and I say, okay, I'm going to, you know, try to process this myself internally right. for three days. And then by the third day, I'm like, I don't even need to ask my friend or tell my friend because I I've solved it. You know, it's like the same thing when you're upset. They always say like, if you want to like fire an email, just like write a draft, like to yourself, don't put that other person. You don't, don't put the email. Like, yeah, I, 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 some people do this where they put the address into like the sign. I was like, no. Like put it in a note or something. And then like a day, two days, like literally I think the magic number is like 72, like 48 to 72 hours. You don't even feel that way. And if you do, then clearly, you know, address it. But I think you, there needs to be that cushion time. I think you're still right. And I mean, my sister was joking to me. She goes, you know, Jeffrey, like, like my family calls me by my, my full first name. She's like, <laughs> think about this way. She's like, what do you call it? She goes, I think like we call it like halt when you're hungry, angry, lonely, and tired, don't, don't send it. Because I was thinking about doing something like that, like a few months ago. She was just like, just like cracking me up. Because my sister's just such a titan, you know, and she's like, you know, she's, uh, um, she just had her second child and she works full time also, you know, hardcore in the tech industry and works harder than I do with stronger backbone. But, you know, she was just like, Halt, halt, because, you know, she's much more, you know, I, I take a lot of cues from her. I'm very volcanic and like, you know, how I am, you know, and she's like much more like still waters run deep. Um, I do think that it's also a lesson in terms of how you lead. And I loved this about Alex Rodriguez, A-Rod, when, oh, I'll, I'll never call him A-Rod unless like, you know, it's for introductory <laughs> purposes. It's so, so strange title to me. Because, you know, the guy has such equanimity all the time. And that was the thing that I loved about working with him and that I really kind of strive to emulate when I'm in my position here, which is no matter his mood, right? No matter if he's stressed, he, the guy has faced bigger stress and, uh, you know, kind of like everything you can imagine the most humans would ever. It's just always, you know, like, like, like ga the game face is on. And he doesn't let it spill into the company or, you know, the management, like there's no like venting, you know, or whatever. And, and I, it's one of the things that I really, really appreciate about his example, because look, your mood affects everyone around you. And especially if you do bring it into the workplace, you know, like, like then you're putting your whole team onto the line. And I know that we're in this age, right, where people want to be much more open, like the boundaries around what's acceptable in workplace culture are different. But I still come from that old school mentality that we learned in the law firm, which is like, at the end of the day, the two are separated. It's okay if you have something going on, obviously, that you've got to take care of it if it's something true. But then understand that when you're doing your job, you're doing it for the mission, for you know what the entire company is standing for. And that you know, everyone should be an owner of the business. 
And if you're all an owner of that boat, you got to keep rowing. You know, you can't like stop everything. And, and I have to remind myself that quite often when it's a bad day on and even one area of the business to make sure that the rest of the business goes on unimpeded. We've had like any startup, there are a million fire drills, five fires, whatever. And I guess if you remember, okay, I might be feeling really down about something over here. But think how blessed I am that the rest of this is so amazing and that the amazing people here, and I owe it to them to resolve this, let them know I'm taking care of this or some other member of the team's taking care of this, and that they should be 100% forward, positive, every day is a new day. Yes, it's all about perspective. I always look at everything as the cup, you know, half full and empty. And like, once you do that, you're literally, you're training your mind to see all the like positives in a situation. And that's like what I love. So I love that we share like a similar mindset. I, I, Marianne, I hope you keep reminding people of that mindset, mm-hmm. you know, because I don't think it's a New York mindset. No, it's I not. I think New York trains you, right? Like New York trains you not to look up at the buildings because then you're a tourist, right? But then you're also looking, you know, but then t- like, because if you look up, you look up in wonder and you think, oh, I live in this incredible city filled with these skyscrapers that people in other cities could only dream of living amongst you're trained in New York, right? To kind of look slightly higher than your um, line of sight. Because you're always trying to think, how do I get a little higher? How do I get a little more money, a little more fame, a little more prestige, whatever, what have you. I like to say it's a bunch of nines looking for 11s uh, in in the city, right? Like extrapolate however you want. (laughs) And when you do that, right, you don't appreciate what you have. Because that was me in my 20s, for sure. No, you're right. It was me constantly. Yes. (laughs) No, I always tell people that I used to be so angry at the world. And it was because I was allowing all these external factors, especially from the city, to affect me. You know, and then I was just like, I don't know. It was just like not a good mindset and a good place. And then I would try to pretend like life was working against me when in reality, I was working against it. And then so I shifted the mindset to think, no, life is working for me. Then I, I'm allowed to say, okay, not everything is just like, it's not me against the world. You know, it's me. The and highs the- are so high here and the lows can be so low that they make you think that it is the world, right? That it is the city. You have a terrible date. Oh, I've been on that world, right? Like, you know, you have a terrible date or someone turns out to not be the person you thought that they would be. Right. Or you have great hopes for this incredible job and it's terrible, right? You're grinding yourself and you're not being appreciated or the door is constantly being thrown in your face and you're just wondering, how do I get up off the mat? But it's not about being a fight, right? It's about just saying, look, you know, you wake up grateful for each day and remember, you know, just because there's a crappy person over there, it doesn't mean that the 95 other people in your life aren't incredible and wonderful. Right. And think about how lucky, you know, we are to have what we have, you know, and, and it's not relative to other people. And I think that there's also that part about beauty as well, you know, which I, you know, I think is really fascinating too, because nothing, you know, there's, no, there's nothing more intimidating, right. Than like meeting a woman who has a sash and a crown that says she's the most beautiful woman internationally or on earth or in the world or in the universe, there's a pageant for all of those, right. And then when you get to know them, and their insecurities and what they're wondering about. And they're like, you know, like, can you imagine, right? Because everyone grows up with being insecure about how they look. 
and then you win a title that actually like empirically verifies that you're <laughs> Miss World, like you're Miss Universe, you're Miss Earth, you're Miss you know Galaxy, right? I mean, if you, and you get a diamond crown, like you would think that would be like the pinnacle, right? It's like if you ever wondered if you were smart and then you got like you know a Nobel Prize in chemistry, but then you realize then she's like, well, there's gonna be a new one next year. Or the fans wrote lists about me, or X. There's always a story. So, I, I you know I think it's also a reminder to enjoy what you're doing on a day to day, right? Because you made that point about not living in the moments of the low, but you should also never live, I think, in my mind, in the moments of the high. Mm-hmm. I'll never forget the, when Alex and I went to the Wimbledon Royal Box. And I mean, he was starstruck. I mean, like this guy who's like, let's see, and we, we were seated behind the crown prince of Denmark with the Duke of Kent, all the cameras are on us. And, you know, I, I turned to him, I was like, we're two immigrant kids, you know, like, you know, who are sitting in like, like literally the pinnacle of aristocracy, right? And we're just gonna enjoy this moment because well, you're, you might be back. I'm certainly never gonna be back in that seat. And it was a great moment. It was magical. But I wouldn't, I would absolutely trade that moment for 30 days of like the day-to-day conversations or wrestling with him over some business matter or something, because that was the true enjoyment and fulfillment that I think we got out of our professional relationship versus the extreme high that everyone looks at on the Instagram or wherever, right? And, and it's like... At, as a brand, we have huge highs. You saw us at a press launch. We were nervous. We're like, oh, we hope Marianne and all of these very stunning people enjoy our products. And it's such a high. But then there's the day-to-day, you know, after this, I'm going to be on Zooms till 7 p.m. And then it's a lot of, you know, slack after that. But I love that. That's a day-to-day. That's a hard grind, you know, of like, is this like, you know, do I change the color here? Or like, why is this not the right? You know, that's the thing I enjoy, you know, as much as it is fun doing uh, press events, of course. No, I love that you acknowledge that there is like, you know, different um, areas of the spectrum is highs and lows and coasting as well. So I honestly could talk to you forever, like always, but we are wrapping this up and my podcast is called the city confessions. So I would love for you, Jeff, to share a confession with me and the listeners. And this can be anything. It can be personal. It can be funny. It can be surface level. It's however you receive the question. But basically, it's kind of like what you said, right? As people living in New York, operating business in New York, we're, we're always like constantly going, going, going. But I feel like what is a fun thing to kind of unite us all are these like confessions that I label. So they can be secrets. It can just be fun facts. It's like we're more than, again, our titles, right? Yeah. So if you can share a confession, what would that be? You know, I love Times Square. Oh my God. I love Times Square. <laughs> I love it so much. I, I walk through it angry and full of haughty energy as I'm like swinging my Tom Brown coat very fast. I can't believe I have to go to this Sephora to check up on this thing. Oh, like, I, no, I love Times Square. You know why I love Times Square? I love Times Square because I first came to New York mm-hmm. as, you know, uh, a junior in college, 2005. And you know, I, I remembered, like, I didn't know anything geographically about New York, and I saw the lights in the distance, and I walked towards it, and I just, like, California kid, I was like, what is this place? Mm. 
I would never forget that feeling. And, and I think I am one of the most brusque people on the street. I apologize to you, apologize to your listeners. If you see me on the street, you have to stop me. And then I'm obviously gonna be super friendly to you because I am a very friendly person. But when I walk, I walk, I will mow you down. I don't care. I'm on my way somewhere. I, I, I don't make eye contact. I am a fast walker. Yeah. But when I walk through Times Square, I'm, I double the speed and I double the don't go near me energy. Yeah, I love seeing the faces of those tourists as much as I am elbowing past them. <laughs> Get out of my way. Um, I love seeing it because everyone deserves to feel welcome and to have a bit of that wonder. You think about all the people who saved up all their lives. Uh-huh. This is their big trip. Yeah, to, to be able to come and look at that and like and to feel because I know that feeling even yeah. as much as I consider myself a New Yorker. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Okay, we have one quick final uh, fire round related to yes. ask the question. And the first word that comes to your mind, you answer. Okay, let's okay. go. Favorite thing about New York? Favorite thing? Um, cheesecake. Worst thing about New York? Rats. <laughs> Favorite restaurant? <laughs> oh, this is a tough one. Um, uh, Thai market up on like 105th in Amsterdam. Okay. Uh, if you could describe New York City in one word exuberant and if you can thank new york city for one thing heightening every sensation and experience in my life amazing well this conversation was so lovely and i want to take a moment now to just send you my gratitude because i know how busy your schedule is so for you to schedule time out of your day to come speak with me and my listeners i'm you know i'm grateful for that and i'm like present with you I've been present with you I've been taking everything that you've said and I really enjoyed this conversation and right now is your chance to plug away I'm gonna have all of your information the show notes and the posts but do you have anything that uh, you're working on that's a secret that you can tell us what can the world be on the lookout from you Jeff or Dibs Beauty in 2022 yes well Marianne I'm so excited to let you know and our listeners know well first of all we have a hero project which you saw the desert island duo the bronzer blush and I mean this thing has sold out three times um the second time it was selling 20 times a minute I mean I was like literally looking at it I'm like is it gonna break our warehouse system (laughs) um and it's because it's such a simple incredible product it's a bronzer on one end bronzing for all you can contour but also use it as a real bronzing stick and also the blush on the other end and people are using this as eyeshadow as lip color it's delicious high quality formula we created the machine that makes this too so this is a custom product and we have been sold out for three months now people dm hundreds of messages a week for it it's coming back imminently in the next few weeks and not only that we have more shades coming so i'm really excited to share that with you i think you're going to really love what we're bringing out this year for dibs which is first of all i want to celebrate all skin tones it's a mission of mine we're all about that it's not inclusivity for inclusivity's sake it's about elevating and uplifting and really actually zeroing in on what the full range of the human experience needs and wants right not just we're including you because we have to and like oh like like you know doors open no you're going to come into the house and we're going to make you the cocktail that's just for you right that's like my philosophy if you drink (laughs) i don't really drink but um the other thing too is just that the products are still in line with our attitude which is it's going to simplify and elevate your everyday. These are the must-haves, but like they're just going to add more joy. And if they don't do that, we won't release them. So 
my team hates me right now. I mean, I just like ran everyone through a fire drill where I almost canceled a product. And it's like, and I was like, I, normally on the business side, you don't have someone who does that. And I said, no, this is not ready to go. And, and both Courtney and I are aligned unless it's perfect, unless we can get to the price point where people can ex- access it and enjoy it. It's not going out. We'll just sell more of what we already have. So I'm excited to share all that. You'll obviously be the first to know. And just to, you know, and, and to also just to reconnect hopefully with you and the rest of the city, like, you know, as we're seeing some light at the end of the tunnel. Yes, for sure. Well, thank you so much. Honestly, I love talking to you. You're just so like, I don't know, natural. You make me feel so comfortable. And it's like a great conversation that I don't feel like we're recording just to record. Like we're, we are connecting. So that's the important thing. Thank you for all your incredible work and insights. I love all the crazy guests that you have on. I learned so much about Bigelow the other I day. I was like, confessions, oh, family. <laughs> crossed, right? And thanks so much, Marianne. All right. So everybody listening, thank you so much. Again, make sure you follow Jeff and Zips Beauty. Click on the show notes. And yeah, I will see you all next week. All right. Bye.